This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the quarter pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, afternoon and evening ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 247 of the Stacy West podcast. My name's Gary. I've been smiling all week. Charlie hasn't smiled since he's joined me on the video, but I'm sure he's going to now. Mr. Beeston, how are we doing? I am very well. You know, we uh, we said on Sunday when we recorded how upbeat the podcast was then. I have a feeling this one might be even more so. Yeah, you know what? I've got a funny feeling about that as well. And <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I would struggle to be upbeat if I kept eating steak like you do. Now, just for people who listened up, Charlie, just wind it in a minute. I'm talking. Don't talk over. Gonna get told off here. Okay. Gonna get told off. You are gonna get told off here. <laughs> so Charlie's in our he, he took it to heart about his corn on the cob um and, and vegetable steak. And somebody approached him, a listener approached him at the uh game and said, How dare you ruin a steak like that? So in order to try and prove a point, yesterday he sent a picture of another steak through. Bear in mind, Charlie's a student, and that's two steaks in a week. So I'm not having that. He's either been uh, shoplifting. Oh, well, I had, I, had one, I had one with eggs for me lunch on Monday. <laughs> eggs? Yeah, steak and fried eggs. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know what? I was going to start berating him because he sent it through. They had some cracking-looking chips and a steak. No Thank sauce. You. And also around the plate, he didn't have a steak knife, he had a normal knife. There was half an eaten sandwich next to the plate that he not was mine. eating. Not mine, not yeah, mine. Why? Oh, man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So he's got half an eaten sandwich on the table. So your 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 flatmate is having to eat yeah. a sandwich and save it for later on the table, and you've had three steaks in a week. Yeah, exactly. Well, what do you think? This is a communist house. I'm not going to share around my steaks. I don't know what type of house it is. Three states in a week, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. My God. Do you want to well, try I and defend to, yourself? I had, to, I had to buy another one yesterday just to try and redeem myself and prove a point against you. That's all it was, Gary. I went so you into Tesco's. So you'd I decided actually tried. I was going to have pasta. <laughs> it's like, do you know what? I'm buying another steak. Screw it. <laughs> and you, So that was you trying, was it? Yeah, that thing yeah, that you yeah, said yeah, was yeah. you trying. A dry steak. No sauce. What sauce should I put on then? Go on. Enlighten Go on. me. Peppercorn or pepper or I'm not a peppercorn fan. I'm not I'm not a spicy fan, you see, so I don't really like red, just a red sauce, a tomato ketchup. You can do that. Well, ketchup? Yeah. So you picked out everything else on the table, but you missed the ketchup that was right no, next I didn't. to the plate. I didn't miss the ketchup, and I didn't well, pick up on are. it because I could tell by the corner of the label that it was it was um proper ketchup, wasn't it? Heinz ketchup. Yeah, not yeah. cheap ketchup. No, I bought Heinz ketchup and I and I bought a steak. And yes, I am a student. The life of a student has changed since I was well. I was, never a, I was never a student, so I had I had a good win on the horses on Saturday whilst I was sat on the coach up to Fleetwood. So that was that was what paid for my steak. I'll be honest. Unbelievable! <laughs> Unbelievable! He's winning on the horses on Saturday. Lincoln are winning and we're upbeat on Sunday, and here we are. 
Thursday evening, 48 hours or so after Lincoln City have comprehensively beaten Charlton Athletic in a game with more interwinding narratives than Game of Thrones, but arguably a much better finish. Um, it's hard to know where to start. I don't want to talk about it for 35, 40 minutes, which we easily could do. But there was so many different stories going on. There's Tom's, there's the Tom Shaw story and the management story. There's the, the Michael Appleton returning story and the revenge story, which is what it's actually turned into. There was the inevitable Danny Cowley stories, including, and again, Craig Harvey, sorry for mentioning it, mate, but the he, he passed it on to me, so he's, I'm not annoyed with him, but the ludicrous suggestion that we were going to unveil Danny Cowley at half time of the game. Um, you know, however, we approach, however we appoint a new manager or a head coach, I will guarantee right now we won't unveil him at half time of a game. If we do, I will bear my ass in the House of Fraser window Done and dusted. The House of Fraser is still a thing, isn't it? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, I would have said still Primark on, on the corner. Yeah, I, I don't. Still there. I, I don't want to get my ass out in Primark. I might catch something. Oh, but getting your ass out in House of Fraser is all right. I, yeah, you've got to have some kind of class and decorum about it exactly. when you're getting your ass out in public. <laughs> you got to be careful where you take your ass out. Charlie Charlton, talk to me. Oh, do you know what you you go through all the different narratives, but. I'd forgotten all of them whilst I was walking away from that stadium. Like the Michael Appleton one, for example, there, there was obviously the pantomime villain sort of aspect in, in chanting Michael, what's the score and things like that. And I joined in on that one. I didn't join in on one or two of the other chants because I felt that one was a little bit too far. But walking away from the stadium, you forgot that Michael Appleton was managing Charlton and it was all about us. And that's exactly all I wanted from Tuesday night was to make it about us and to just be impressed and well, we were that and then some. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't all about us because I'm going to now turn it back onto the whole Michael <laughs> thing. Um, I mean, I only heard the Michael, Michael, what's the score? I didn't hear the other stuff. I, I thought his post-match interview was actually relatively fair. People said, oh, that, you know, he, he called us big bullers and he said about our big centre-halves. Well, to be fair, like, he signed. <laughs> he signed at least one of our <laughs> centre-halves. Um, he signed Adam Jackson. So, it, But I didn't think that he was basically saying we were a big side that kicked him off the park and that he was just saying we, we're we good at that element of the game. I thought he was quite respectful, yeah. um, but people were kind of looking for it. I thought Hacks was very respectful because when he scored that goal, he could have done a Chris Maguire and gone over um, straight away. So look, let's strip it back. Let's take it away. So it doesn't matter who's in the dugout. Whoever's in the dugout, that's the opposition manager and that's it. Mm. Um, yeah. So we go into the game. My belief was nil-nil was going to be a good result. And everybody I spoke to beforehand was, I'd take nil-nil right now. And the, the, yeah, having won on Saturday against Fleetwood, and and the narrative coming out of that was, mm. oh, actually, we're not as bad as we've been the last couple of weeks. We're not as bad without a striker. And then here we are three days later, and we're all going, well, actually, yeah, shit, we are, aren't we? Let's just draw nil-nil with Charlton, who you know, were woeful at the beginning of the season. But for the first 10 minutes, first five minutes... We struggled probably to get a foothold in the game. How your their goal? Because for me, from my angle, my first reaction was, "What the hell has Jensen done there?" <laughs> and then you watch the replay, and actually, I, I don't think that the keeper was to blame for it, aside from not being able to cut out the cross. No, I don't actually think he would have necessarily been able to get there if he'd come out because the. Uh, the attacker on the wing, A, would have ran quicker and known that he wouldn't have had as much time if Jensen was coming out. I still think he would have beaten Jensen to the ball if Jensen had come. Yeah, the big thing for me was not stopping the cross. I felt like it happened in a split second. Jensen hesitated, realised that, oh, maybe I should have got there and then kind of wasn't thinking. The ball came across and whatever it was, he was distracted then slightly and didn't stop the cross at all. Didn't really look like he attempted to. So I thought that that was quite disappointing um, but it, it sort of was what it was. I agree. I very much would have been happy with a draw, but I don't think it was anything to do with a kind of regression and forgetting Saturday. I think it was more the case of the, this is a Charlton side that clearly on the up, they're on some really good form. They've got a squad of players that could quite easily be in the top six come the end of the season. A draw actually keeps our momentum going. It's keeps an unbeaten run. Um, it's something we can we could have been really positive with. So then to go one 0 down early on, it was kind of a little bit worrying. Um, and some people, myself included, at some points thought that we were going to be in for a bit of a long night. 
That's interesting. So I was actually just going to ask you what your thoughts were when the goal went in. So I'm quite pleased you said that because, do you know what? I was kind of the opposite. The, the ball went in, and and what you it's hard to form the, the your first feeling when a ball goes in is oh we've conceded and you feel flat and they're celebrating mm. and they're ringing how singing how shit must you be we're winning away and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah um and for me it's those it's the two or three minutes after that and those two or three minutes can nearly always tell you how the game's going to pan out especially early doors because. You know, people say we weren't that good and we were run a little bit ragged in the first five, ten minutes. I disagree. I don't think that we looked like we were, yeah, you know, we weren't on top of the game, but I thought that we showed real composure almost at every point. And okay, a few balls went astray. Okay, we played a couple of balls back to Jensen. But I never at that point felt, unlike what you've just said, I never felt we were going to be in for a, for a tanking. I just didn't feel like it was going to happen. And do you know what? The, the five minutes or the ten minutes after that, just the control that I thought that we had in our play and, and the positivity that I could see coming from our play. I, it's really strange. I said it on our, on the pod on Sunday, didn't I, that I never felt we were going to concede against Fleetwood after they scored about, after about probably five minutes after that. So 10, 15 minutes into the game, I was convinced we were going to beat Charlton. Yeah. And I very much get where you're coming from and, and agree with a lot of it. I, th I also thought that we were quite comfortable in the first 10 minutes. My only worry is that I've seen us be comfortable in games this season and then go one goal down and not really be able to do anything after that. You know, P Peterborough, first half, we were brilliant. Then we concede one and suddenly all composure seems to get lost. You know, we conceded really early on in the second half. Um, and there's, ju there's just been a couple of times where Things just haven't gone our way. And it, and it is sometimes as simple as that, whether it be little individual errors, considering from set pieces or anything like that. And just part of me worried that, okay, is this going to be another game where we are the better team, but just unfortunately can't get the result? Obviously, really luckily, we weren't that. But I very much, I think, coming away from that early goal by them, we then became even better than what we were in the first 10 minutes to become a clear-cut better side. I mean... Look at the set pieces, for example. We got a few throw-ins in kind of quick succession between sort of the 15th and 20th minute mark. I think we had two or three throw-ins. And every single one of them ended with a shot on goal. Most of the time, that was Lars Sorensen. They've clearly been worked on on the training ground. It's something that Tom Shaw said in his uh, pre-match press conference. He said it's something that we really want to work on, not just in our in-possession work, but actually set pieces. Because we've got this weapon not just from Adelican, but obviously Lass as well, as we saw at the weekend. We want to be able to work on that to actually have it mean something. So then to see that come to fruition on the on the pitch, obviously we didn't necessarily get a goal from it, but to see that actually turn into proper good chances on the pitch was really positive to see as well. So I thought that was another kind of string to our bow that we showed really early on. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we were playing for throw-ins a little bit at times as well, mm. which... I've got yeah. no problem with Stoke. They used to do it with Rory Delap many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, I think it helps getting the fans on side as well because yeah. I, I actually saw a contrast, and I'm going to talk Michael Appleton again, between when they got a throw-in within sight of the 18-yard mm. area, it was always going backwards. And we know that. That's what he does. I'm not going to criticise yeah. that because I didn't criticise it when he was here. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. But when we get it and launch it into the box as Hacks does... The fans, it feels like a corner. You always get excited at a corner. I remember in the 90s when we used to, when we were, were shot shy and, and another word rhyming with all of that in front of goal. Every time we got a corner, I remember the, the I think it was the old railway end at the time we used to sing, oh, it's a corner, because it was that exciting. You know, while yeah, we've yeah. got an opportunity to get the ball in the mixer, you get a throw in now in that kind of area and, and Hax is really good at it. And I did notice him at one point, the ball went out of play and it went into the Charlton dugout. And he picked up the ball and he must have walked 15 yards to the to level with the edge of the penalty area. And Michael Appleton was apoplectic with rage. <laughs> and he was shouting and pointing and shouting and pointing. It was just the way, I, I don't know, there was just, there was an element of something in Hax's play. And I'm not going to liken it to Chris Maguire at Sunderland because for me, Sunderland was the only time that we saw Chris Maguire really put in effort all the time. And I don't think Hax ever lacks effort. Um but when he got his goal, now there's a lot of goals that we've scored this season, which are good goals. There's goal. There's a goal later in this game that can be classed as a goal of the season contender. But the more I watch that first touch from him to bring the ball down and spin on the spot, 
the more I think, do you know what? It's Dennis Bergkamp-esque, and I think I put that in my write-up. It just reminded me of Bergkamp, the way he's turned and smashed it in the back of the net. It was absolutely second to none. To be able to have the composure to do that inside, what, just on the six-yard line, to be able to do that was absolutely incredible. And also the power he then managed to get on the shot from, from a turn to make himself sort of a, a standing start and then be able to put that much power on the shot was absolutely sublime. He, I very much agree I wouldn't want to liken it to Chris Maguire because actually I didn't think Hax's performance yesterday had anything to do with Michael Appleton because I think Hax has got that in his locker anyway. It's just about consistency with him. I don't and, think we've necessarily seen it. Yeah, and space. Burton had six at the back. So, yeah. so look, I, no, we're, we're, I think as soon as we scored that goal, mm. it was just belief surged through the team. We'd actually looked good up until that point, but just looking at the um, looking at the shots of the last Sorensen on eighteen minutes, Hacks then scored on thirty three, and then after that, there was last thirty seven minutes, last thirty seven minutes, last forty eight minutes, forty fifty five <laughs> minutes. It was yeah, it, it, we were. We were, I don't know. It's, it's hard to put into context because people say, oh, the, the handbrake was off. But actually, if you look at forward passes, progressive passes, that sort of thing, there wasn't mm. a huge difference between that and Burton. But it's the other test. It's the eye test. It's the looking at it. You know, you know when something is better. Stats don't always tell the story. I love a stat and the stat will give you a pattern. But there was just something different. Now, is that Tom Shaw? I want to say yes, because I don't think it's—I don't think it's a tactical change. I think it's a—it's a mental change. It's an attitude change. It's something's obviously changed behind the scenes. It's a pretty obvious change, but something's changed behind the scenes that's then made these players suddenly have a much more of a belief. And for me, it's—it's it's bravery. The amount of passes we were making to players that actually had men around them, but it didn't matter because they were still able to get out of that situation. They were able to flick it onto somebody else. Adelican was doing flicks like Danny Mandroyu all, all game, constantly knocking it around to people. So I just think it's a level of bravery. It's an attitude change that we've not seen under Mark Kennedy that we're now being able to see under Tom Shaw. But there must be a tactical change because... There was more width and mm -hmm. we were playing with a central midfielder on one flank. And OK, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, right back on the other flank. But, but Lass has been playing wide anyway. Mm -hmm. But we had a lot more width from those two players. So surely that's tactical, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm actually going to slightly disagree with you in the terms of Smith making us wider. Because I thought that what Smith did so well was tucking in more. And Sean Rowan was then our most attacking player on that left-hand side often. Because I felt that Smith was tucking into kind of players more of the number 10 role that we've seen recently. And then Rowan was running on, making the overlapping runs constantly, which is, you know, why Rowan was, for example, in the place for his goal later on. But it's, it, for me, it's that kind of aspect. And Lars Sorensen is always somebody who, who plays quite wide. He's always somebody that makes those runs down the right flank when he gets the opportunity, either with the ball or without it, waiting for it to come to his feet. So, yeah. The tactical changes, yes, okay, they might may have been some, but I don't think they were as drastic as what the sort of like I say what the eye test showed yesterday. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't think it was Ali Smith that delivered the width. I mean, no. it was we had a central midfielder playing out wide, and yet we still mm. had width. Interestingly, and it depends. I say this quite a lot on your definition of interesting. Um, but attacks by flank and danger level is a, is a great little graphic that appears on um, Scout. I never really use it. I don't delve into games that much. 52% of our, our attacks were through the middle, believe it or not. 1.79 XG, but then that kind of surprises me a little. But actually, the most effective flank was the left flank. 1.34 XG came from 21 attacks um, down the left flank. When you, the, the only thing is with that is how would that count one of Lars Sorensen's volleys that's come from a header out of the box that's come from attack. a long throw, because It'd it's, probably it's be come from the long throw. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, no, sorry, the, the stat is an actual attack, so it's a ball carry into that position rather right, than okay. I'm not talking about shots. But what what right. what I'm saying is what the point I'm trying to make I think is that all over the field there were surprising things happening in mm. the you know, Lass was absolutely outstanding, but. 
Sean Rowan was probably a Sean and Ali Smith on the left hand side were probably underrated, whereas Jack Burroughs and Lass on the right hand side were superb. But it just gave us a real nice balance. So half time came around, one all. Um, Come out in the second half, I just felt comfortable. I really did. And I thought when we came out in the second half for the first 10, 15 minutes, we were excellent. But we've got to talk about that second goal. 24 passes. Every single outfield player touched that ball before it went into the back of the net. Every single outfield player. Now, I think there's a hint of offside about it, but I'll tell you something. I don't think the linesman dare put his flag up after that passage of play. <laughs> I really don't. I, 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 there wasn't. He was. He was. Mar- it was marginal, yeah. but he's onside. You can see. Um, but it was just. Again, have you have you ever seen a goal at Lincoln with where every outfield player touches the ball? Well, I counted twenty three passes, but so I'm I'm wrong on that. So I'm very disappointed myself now. But no, um, that was the perfect team goal and the uh, Hakeem actually deserves so much credit in that as well because there was at one point after a sort of 10 passes he had the ball back to goal and had three players around him looked like he was about to lose the ball and yet still managed to find the perfect pass to to I think it was Ethan Hamilton if I if I remember it correctly who then was able to play it out wide and and then we move forward from there every player not just got a touch of the ball but they all made the perfect pass, the right pass. Everybody knew exactly where they were supposed to be. The runs were incredible. Everything was perfect about that goal. What I also quite like is um, the fact that you appear to be in love with Hakiba Delican at the moment. I do today. I, quite, I really yeah, do. Yeah, I, I quite like yeah. that. It's a good point. The thing that really struck me about that goal is that we tried attacking down one flank. And then when it didn't work, we went back across the back four. And yeah, you know, there's people around me. Oh, pass it forwards and pass it, do you know what I mean? And there's a guy who sits a couple of rows in front, gets really, really agitated. But that just goes to show if you can't find a, a probe and a pass down one flank, you can come back, you can go the other. And I thought we did that really well. I thought we benefited from the fact that Charlton had a plan A and nothing else. You know, we know that. Now we're yeah. on the other side of it. We know what that looks like. And I respected a manager that stuck to his principles, but he didn't change it. And that played into our hands. So... So that happened two one. I actually thought two one was probably what it what it was going to stay at. I thought we tailed off a little bit after that, and the numbers show that we did. We lost a little bit of our um, pressing intensity. Our passing started to be a little bit more wayward. I think we be- began to defend a little more stoically. Um, I also noticed the game begin to get a little bit niggly, and we've got to pick up before we go on to the final goal. Blackett Taylor going down on his ass. Off the pitch, rolling onto the pitch. I mean, that referee, he was just like the strict teacher. Where, you know, like a kid going, oh, I've got tummy ache. I've got tummy ache. You'll stay sat there. I've got tummy ache. Everybody else, get on with your revision. Ignore Tommy. He's doing it for effect. Ignore Corey. Corey has rolled onto the pitch. He's a bad boy. And that's kind of what it felt like to me. And then 10 minutes later, it was Ethan around. (laughs) Genuinely thrown to the floor. and, And he's just like, no, Ethan, you're doing it for attention. Um, I really liked the referee, but yeah, the, the game could have boiled over. Did you spot the Alex Mitchell incident with, uh, I can't remember, Luke Jones, is it? Uh, I think it's Jones, Lloyd Jones, who was at Cambridge. They started having a pop in the goal net after a set piece and we attacked and they were having a pop at each other all the way up the pitch. The I way. didn't notice that. No, was that... And I, it wasn't, it was just a bit of, they were in each other's face. And mm. you know what? You've seen that. You've seen Ethan Arahan. You've seen Pordy O'Connor go down looking injured and, and buggered basically and got up and, and got on. You've seen Sean Rowan, you know, he's not going to have kids anymore, I don't think, because he's, <laughs> he's, his baby maker's been flattened. Yeah. Um, people were getting down from being injured. They were fighting on, they were getting in the faces. And then, what changed the game back in our favour, Jack Vale comes on and the first thing he does is leave a naughty little footing on their full-back or their their uh, left-sided centre-back. And I thought he, I mean, he was instrumental in the goal, but what, what were your impressions of Jack? Oh, I was so impressed. We're going to enjoy having Jack Vale fit and playing for us now. He he just reminds you of Ben House, doesn't he? Like the first, the first immediate comparison you can make is to Ben House. He's, we didn't really get to see enough of him on the ball. Um, on Tuesday night, but that wasn't anything to do with him. That was just the way the game was at the time. But the amount of running he did as soon as coming on, 
bear in mind he's coming straight from an injury as well, the amount of running he's then done and the the fact he's leaving footsie and the fact he's really trying to use his body, I think we're going to be really, really, we're going to have a really exciting prospect on our hands for the, the second half of the season. I'm sorry, Charlie. Did you just say leaving foots in? You do know what the plural of foots is. No, I said leaving a foot in, didn't I? No. <laughs> he said leaving foots in. So he's either leaving feet in or leaving a foot no, in. No, I, do you know what then? I, if, if I did accidentally say that, I'm firming it. I I mean leaving foots in. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, it was his tenacity that led to the third goal because it's he's gone in to challenge the centre-back. The ball's mm. ricocheted. Lovely little finish from Sean Rowan. I noticed on Instagram after the game, Sean put that one was extra special. Mm. So, He's talking about hacks, but Sean probably had more of a point yeah. to make to Michael. More of a point. I just thought it was quite poignant that it was Lass who didn't play a lot of games under Michael 19, I think, and, and hacks and Sean that got the goals. And it does just go to show you that it's easy to say a transfer window has been crap, or it's easy to say one man's trash is another man's treasure. Um, but you look at that transfer window that gets regularly slated now, which was the summer where Dan Lundlew came mm. in and, and Chris Maguire came in. But actually, Ted Bishop is a major part of the first team squad. He came in in that summer. Uh, and also, Lars Sorensen, who's probably our favourite, you know, one of the, the fans' favourites at the minute, and Hacks, who's our leading scorer. So it's funny how things evolve and develop, isn't it? It certainly is. I think we are all, as football fans, very quick to judge sometimes. And we do that with individual players. We do that with managers. We do that with whole transfer windows. But actually, sometimes you just need to take a step back. You need to think. It's, it's like when people are talking about Jack Bell, for example. The amount of times over the last few weeks, you know, before Tuesday night, I heard from people, well, what's, what's the point of us signing an injured striker? You know, we've got Ben House, we've got Tyler Walker injured. That wasn't the case when we signed Jack Bell, first of all. Second of all, it's it was a gamble and a risk that we did for the whole season. Now people are taking a step back and thinking, and from these same people, I'm here. oh, Jack Fells, Jack Fells a great little player, isn't he? We're going to enjoy having him around. It's like, yeah, you probably would have known that if you'd have just taken a step back and realised that earlier on anyway. It's sometimes we're, we all fall foul of it, but that kind of perspective is is often needed and uh, can can really bring a better light onto, onto matters in football. So that's it, 3-1. I mean, you've got some numbers and bits I think you want to pick up on, haven't you? I do. I mean, first of all, over three XG, you know, we're scoring three goals. Absolutely brilliant. But the touches in the penalty area, it's something we've spoken about a lot over the past few weeks, ever since Chris got the numbers up after the Burton game. So this season, we've averaged just under 12, 11.69. Fleetwood, we had 16, which I think you told me was the joint highest for this season, wasn't it? Uh, Tuesday, we had 20. So we've already in two games well eclipsed the average but also we've, we've destroyed what we did on uh, on Saturday, again on Tuesday. And if that can keep on climbing, I wouldn't mind having 24, for example, on, on Saturday again. So that's that's really good. And did you know, Gary, the last time we came back from behind to win in the league? Uh, came from behind to win came in the league. Behind. I did see that a stat the other day, well, last time we came from behind to win 3-1, and that was a long, long while ago. Um, wow, do you know what? You've put me on the spot there. I can't remember. I genuinely yeah, the, can't remember. How the turntables. Um, how the what, sorry? How the what, sorry? Just go back onto that. It's, it's, how the turntables. It's, it's, it's a reference. How the tables oh, are turned, you no, mean, don't you? Oh, no. You do? Oh, right, no. It is a reference. Go on, then. The office. It's the re- Right. Um, Port Vale at home, April. In that three-two, we went two-one down. Yeah, of course we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the, that was the last time. And to be honest, it it might be a bit of a weird one saying. It's very very easy to say with hindsight, but I am really glad that we went one-nil down yeah. because it allowed us to show the character on Tuesday night. That you know, at, at times when towards the end of Mark Kennedy's reign, people were beginning to question some of the players. But the character and attitude that we showed on Tuesday night, as soon as we went one down, was outstanding. So it was, I was quite pleased that we managed to show that. 100% I agree with you. So that's it. We'll package it up. We'll put it in our memory bank and we will remember it. It's a second wind for Tom Shaw. He's the first caretaker manager that we have had 
who has won two games. He's the first caretaker manager we've had that's got uh, back-to-back wins, obviously, because he's the first that's won two games. Um, one caretaker manager did oversee a 3-0 three, three win at home, but then lost the next four games. Another caretaker manager did see a 3-1 win away, but then I think got uh, two defeats and a draw afterwards. So it's a good start for Tom Shaw. Um, possibly a, a, you know, a, a good job interview, although Clive Nates in a uh, podcast yesterday with BBC Radio Lincolnshire said that there will also be proper interviews. They won't just be going, well, Tom's doing well, we'll give him the job. Um, so there was a 12-minute interview with uh, Clive conducted by Rob Makepeace. Uh, it was brilliant because he didn't really tell us anything and it did tell us something as well. It didn't tell us anything like who is and isn't in the running, but come on, we know that Clive's not crass enough mm. to start mentioning names and things like that. What he said was there will be a robust process. We have uh, a committee that sit and look at manager progression, even while the other manager's in charge, which I actually find a little bit disconcerting, or I would if I was a manager. Can you imagine you know, sitting there and going, oh, can I speak to Clive? Oh, sorry, he's just in the uh, management progression meeting. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, brilliant. Um, I know it's not like that at all. <clears throat> so he said that there was a shortlist. He said they've been contacted by agents and people who are not on the shortlist, who they may now consider. Um, people seem to read into it that we were looking up rather than down. Now, I think that that is we're looking to progress rather than looking over our shoulder. I think it suggests that perhaps when we brought Mark Kennedy in, we were a little bit worried about the direction of the club because we'd been on a downward trajectory under Michael. I don't think it meant we were going to look at managers from the championship but there's been a couple of names mentioned charlie i just want, wanted to get your feelings on one or two of them and i'll share mine as well if that's all right mm. um so obviously nathan jones has been mentioned now i think this is highly unlikely given he's been in the premier league recently i think he'll be looking for a championship role uh but what are your thoughts there um i mean first of all i think it's quite just a lazy sort of link that people are making because of chris cohen but I don't know. It's a really weird one. Um, I would probably, I wouldn't be massively opposed based on his time at Luton, but I also think that if we did bring him in and, a, and an opportunity to move to a club higher, he'd take it immediately. So for that kind of sense, I'd actually probably be more towards the no section. Yeah, I, the only thing that about Nathan Jones that just concerns me a little bit is he's never done it outside of Luton. Um, and I'm just a little bit concerned that some of his interviews during his time at Southampton and, you know, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure Uh, if he came in, I wouldn't be gutted. I think the Chris Cohen link from what I can understand, I think him and Tom Shaw were at Forest at the same time, although in different capacities. So I would imagine there's a link there. I don't think that there's, you know, people put two and two together as we know and get 223, don't they these days? So, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. So John Eustace has been mentioned as well. Another interesting one. Where do you sit on John? Not literally, obviously. <laughs> uh, I would take John Eustace, if I'm honest. Uh, he's, oh. yeah, I, I would. I feel like he was really unfairly removed from Birmingham. Oh, um, sorry, you said you would take him. I thought you said you wouldn't. I would, yeah. sorry, no, yeah. no, I would, I would, yes. I feel like he was really unfairly removed from Birmingham. I think he's a player, a manager, sorry, that would be able to take us up. Uh, and he's also got experience of being able to keep a club who maybe aren't necessarily an easy club to keep up in the championship. He's already proved that he was able to solidify their place. And he was on a really good start to the season with Birmingham. You know, they're in the playoff places when they dismissed him. So I'd be really happy, actually, if we got John Eustace. Did really well at Kidderminster, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was in 2016 to 2018. He, he did a good job there. He's then been and worked with better players while at QPR. I think he was assistant manager at Republic of Ireland as well. And he's a name I'd be quite excited about. I think if he came into Lincoln City, I'd be really, really happy. Um, so it's interesting. And finally, uh, it's it's you know, it kind of ties everything back to the Charlton game. Tom Shaw on a permanent with Chris <laughs> Cohen as assistant. I have a feeling that the club are going to see it as a little bit too soon for Tom Shaw. But at the same time, I think if he... It's one of those, I don't think I would be up, like upset or 
unhappy with it if it if it were to happen but he wouldn't necessarily be my top pick so it'd be one of those where i would very much embrace he clearly understands the philosophy at the football club he's clearly somebody that both players and staff can work with very well um so somebody that would get a lot of support from everybody around the building and he's somebody who could support the players a lot so that side of it definitely whether or not he's fully capable yet of being a first team manager at this level is is obviously a bit unproven but Sometimes that's the risk you need to take. Well, my thoughts are there are parallels between John Schofield in 2006 and seven. So when John Schofield took over, um, they brought in the experienced John Dean mm-hmm. with him. Now, John Dean, by the way, nearly all of our signings, when you look at it, were people that John Dean knew because he brought Nicky Eden in, I think, who had been with him at Barnsley. He brought Paul Green, who he knew from Aston Villa. He brought Ryan Amu, who he knew from Aston Villa. Nearly all of our signings were John Dean linked at the time. That That's not something we need to worry about now because the recruitment team kind of handled much of that. But young coach, um, loves the club, knows the club, knows the players, supported by somebody like Chris Cohen, who was assistant manager at Luton, assistant manager at Southampton, worked in the Premier League, worked in the Championship. Do you know what? It's a pairing I wouldn't be disappointed with. It's easy to say that when you've got two wins out of two. And if we will talk about Exeter in a bit, but you go if you go to Exeter and make that three wins out of three, and then you go to uh, go against Oxford on Tuesday night and you make that 10 points from 12, then you're beginning to think, well, well, hang on. My my feeling is actually what we're seeing now is kind of Mark Kennedy's Lincoln City, but with a without the restrictions of Mark Kennedy. And that, I don't want that to, you know, I, I don't criticize the way that Mark's football because we were really complimentary in August. But I just think that we're, I think we're seeing what Mark Kennedy wanted us to see, but probably wasn't brave enough or didn't instill the, the confidence in the players to go out and actually do. Now, my big question would be then so does Tom have what it takes to then take it to the next level to make it Tom Shaw's Lincoln City? Because that's what the next head coach has got to do. They've got to evolve this Lincoln City into the next Lincoln City and they've got to do it smoothly and you know michael probably michael appleton didn't do it smoothly when he came in and took over from danny it was very much a this is danny cowley's lincoln bang three months later i've ripped yeah. the heart out of it and we were we were in a little bit of trouble towards the end of the 2019 20 mm-hmm. season and covid probably really probably came in and helped us i think you know we were in free fall um mark kennedy didn't have to dismantle anything so he kind of had a little bit of an easier start because it was all about building not dismantling wasn't it so mm-hmm. and you know John Schofield kind of was in a similar situation in that Keith's team had slowly crumbled away. It got to 2006 and we lost to Grimsby in the playoffs. And, you know, it was the season of Gary Birch and Marvin Robinson. It was a Lincoln City that lacked the identity that Keith had built up through to 2005. So there was, you know, when when John Schofield came in, it was, I'll put my stamp on this. And it was very fresh and new with the Jamie Foresters and the Mark Stallards Mm -hmm. and the, the, the fresh style of play. Um, so whether that argues for or against Tom Shaw, I've kind of lost myself in a little bit of nostalgia <laughs> there. Shall we take a break? We shall. Let's go and see who's trying to sell your stuff this week. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much. Advertisers, they have allowed us to shirt, sponsor the shirt of Ethan Arahan. And fingers crossed, we may be able to do another one in January. We may be able to do a second sponsor in January. Who knows? You never know. One of those new signings, according to the Belfast Telegraph, could be a player called Dylan Sloan. And I just wanted to move smoothly into uh, talking very briefly about Dylan Sloan. So he's a 19-year-old box-to-box midfielder. He's been tracked by Everton, Leicester, Stoke and Blackpool, according to the uh, the Belfast Telegraph. Um, It's us and Blackpool. Football Insider have thrown all the other names at it. So you tend to look at the newspapers and go, well, potentially, potentially there's something there. Um, He really excelled against HJC, HJK, Helsinki in the Champions League qualifiers in which they were narrowly beaten. They were much more roundly beaten in the Europa Conference League games. Um, Rumour is he's worth around €200,000, which is about £175,000, which on the face of it would look like a lot of money to pay for a 19-year-old who plays in the same position as the two Ethans because that's like trying to move the rocks at Stonehenge using a, a you know using a, a, a puppy to pull them to one side so that's not going to happen um so he plays for Larn uh, he will have developed under the watchful eye of Jeff Hughes who is there as the head lead development coach Jeff Hughes came from Larn remember when he came to us uh, people have been asking about why Ireland why is it always Northern Ireland um Charlie can you answer that why what, what why do we go over there to get yeah why, why always northern ireland because they're cheaper they're just as good in a lot of cases and they're available for less wages and often less competition very good sorry i put you on the spot there didn't i uh, it's also because they don't the eu rules don't apply to them so we mm-hmm. can't go into the dutch so i thought you'd i thought jez would have explained that the other night when you went oh no no the, he did but, because my mind immediately cast onto the fact, oh, hang on, he's played a European match. That would register him for an ESC slot. And then I thought, no, oh, hang on, never mind. It's Ireland. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but there's, there's a lot of... We've done well from Ireland. I mean, Sean Rowan obviously came over from Ireland. Dylan Duffy looks a, a, a real prospect. I have no mm-hmm. problem with us fishing in the Irish waters um, on a regular basis. So... Um, but did you... I mean, I know you. I kind of dropped this on you a little bit just at the beginning of the podcast... Does it feel to you just like paper talk? Yeah, you're always going to get these throughout the season. And we're always going to be a club that is linked with players over in Ireland because of our history in signing them. Although, if we are looking at him, yes, okay, the price tag might be a little bit much. But we've also you know, got investors who have shown a willingness to invest in young talent. So... It wouldn't surprise me a massive amount if it were to happen, but I don't see it happening. Sounds, yeah, I get that. I get that. Very good. Right, moving on. So, Exit City. Um, first of all, let's get the view from the opposition. So, Ben um, has been doing the preview this week. He's been talking to Tom from the Part Live podcast uh, which isn't connected to blur or Britpop. it's because of st james's park park life um here's tom here's ben here's what they've got to say about the game i'm ethan arahon and i'm listening to the stacy west podcast tricky run of form for extra at the moment you haven't won in the league in six games um is there something particular that's that you can pinpoint that's gone wrong or is there is it kind of a, a culmination of stuff that you know, that, that seems to be building up to this this poor run? So I think, I mean, it's quite easy to say, isn't it? But at the moment, it feels like the biggest problem is scoring goals. I mean, two goals in, in six games. Um, I think, you know, in reality, we'd like to have, have scored more than that. Mm. Um, defensively, I think, I, I mean, I think we've conceded a few sloppy goals. Um, and to be honest, I know it's bit of a cliche but I think luck has gone against us a few times look at the Wigan game um, a couple of weeks mm. ago and I mean we dominated that game and they managed to to nick it and you couldn't help but think that really just does sum up the the time that we've had over the past few weeks um, look it's tricky it's tricky but one thing I will say is that the team are fully together uh, mm. and the fans are still very much behind um, the manager behind the team and and really raring for us to go on on Saturday because we we've got a point to prove okay well so yeah let, let's let's 
dive into that a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, it sounds like there's a good team spirit there. It sounds like there's a lot, you know, that that's that's positive. Do, do you think there is a way of turning this one round with the, you know, with the current squad that you've got? I mean, obviously, we, you know, you're not going to be able to make any changes till till January. Um, any any players that came in 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 the summer window, you know, how have they settled well, or is is it still a case of them trying to gel in the squad and, and find their place? No, they they really have gelled very well. I mean, you look at the start of the season and we were top of the league a month ago mm-hmm. and it's just been this six game streak which has put us in the position that we're in now. And you I mean, you go back to the start of the season, a 3-0 win away against against Wickham on the opening day of the season. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Some excellent results in there, a win away against Carlisle, a win away against Burton. Um, more wins, you know, Reading at home. They're all they're all decent um, decent victories in there, um, and at the time it looked like the team had gelled incredibly quickly. Tom Carroll, Ryan Trevitt, Reese Cole looked a formidable um, midfield trio, and to be honest, I think everybody was was sort of finding their their own way and and um, and really gelling as a team. It's just been this last six games which we haven't really looked like Exeter City, and and that mm. is a worry. But it's something that that can be put right, I'm sure. Okay, um, let's talk about you. You know your, your style of play, your your, your threats, and your, you know your weaknesses. Um, what sort of you know, obviously going to the game on Saturday? Um, what can we expect to see from Exeter? And are there any players particularly that even in the run at the moment that will stand out for you? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll start off on the sort of system we play. Then um, mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit. It's a little bit fluid, um, but it, it's always a three back, and that can either be a, a three four one two or a sort of three four three with with two wingers plus two uh, two wing backs. And it, it's it's a system that looks pretty good. It feels like it should work, and it mm-hmm. did work at the start of the season. Only now is it is it sort of not delivering what we want. But I mean, we've still got some excellent players in there. You, you mentioned, uh, you know. Who who I think could cause Lincoln some trouble, and 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 I I'd look straight towards our wide players, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Dimitri Mitchell, who is fantastic at this level, um, probably one of our best players uh, at the moment, maybe our best player, uh, and on the other wing or the other fullback position, whatever you like to call it, Vincent Harper has looked amazing, it, even in this six-game run, he's probably been the bright spark. Mm. There are there are other players who are, I could of course mention. A lot of them have been out injured and have only just returned, um, and we sort of use the injuries as a reason. I don't want to call it an excuse because we had a lot of injuries. You know, you're yeah. always I, going to be up against it. I think we're very much aware of that reason excuse at the moment with, <laughs> yeah. with, with the Imps injury situation. No, but, I, yeah. I think every team uses it, don't they? <laughs> but but is, it, is it an excuse? I don't know. It feels like more of a reason to me. But once mm. they come back, then you don't have a reason. You mm. don't have an excuse. Um, and yeah, we've still got a couple of players out, but we've got a strong enough team. No team in League One has got every single player fit. It's a fantasy to suggest that you're ever going to get a, a team that is fully fit. It doesn't exist. Um, yeah. But we've we've certainly got players that are capable of delivering a result. And hopefully that comes pretty soon because, you know, the team need it at the moment. Brilliant. Thank you. Tom's a great guy. I actually did the podcast, uh, the Park Life podcast with Tom myself earlier in the week. Um, so I always like doing the the Exeter City podcasts, which is uh, which are really good. So, Charlie, you're going all the way down to Devon, aren't you? What are your thoughts on the fixture? I am, yes. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, but I think that's probably more because of the vein of form that we're in, but also just as much because of the vein of form that they're in. They are without a win in six league matches now. In fact, the last game they won in all competitions was against Premier League Luton Town in the third round of the League Cup, uh, where I believe they scored quite late on. I think it was Dimitri Mitchell, who is a player who has Tom has picked out in the preview there and a player I also want to pick out. I think he's an absolute brilliant, brilliant player and um, somebody who I'm not exactly... Blackpool, Sorry, wasn't he? Well, he was at yeah. Blackpool, I remember. Was he a former Arsenal youngster or something like that? Uh, Manu. 
Man U. I remember him Man going U. to. Uh, I might be. Yeah, I remember him going to Blackpool. Yeah, great play. He was sent yeah. off against Luton as well. Sorry, carry on, Charlie. Yes, he was. He, he is the definition of a traditional number seven. Um, really good on the ball, uh, and also from from all accounts, just as good off it as well. They are a team that actually struggle to score. They're the fifth lowest scorers in the league so far. None of their players have more than two goals in the league. They've only got 11 overall so far this season. What, what are we, 14, 15 games into the season for, for some teams? So, yeah, they're a team that if we're solid at the back and we're able to show anywhere near as much attacking intent as what we did on Tuesday night, I think it's a really, really winnable game. And I think it's a game that we're going down with an expectation to, at the bare minimum, get a point. But I think there's an expectation on us to win. Well, I agree. Um, they've only scored two goals since, uh, I think, September the 16th, when they beat mm. Cheltenham 1-0. They were on a really good run of form, and then they got tonked 9-0 by Reading in the Football League trophy. And since then, it's just all gone really bad for them. Literally, the Luton win's the only one they've had. Their last mm. four, uh, Their last five home games, by the way, 9-0 against Reading, 2-0 against Northampton, 1-0 against Barnsley, 5-0 against Arsenal under-21s and 2-0 against uh, against Wigan Athletic. I mean, like you say, they're, they're really, really struggling under Gary Caldwell, who has been promoted from this um, this division before. They play a 3-4-3. I think they look to get a little bit of width on that rather than kind of the, the tight 3-4-3. So, as you say, they have... They have Dimitri Mitchell, who plays on the left. Jack Aitchinson, who was at Celtic, moved to Barnsley, had some time at Forest Green on the right. Um, their striker is not somebody I'm particularly familiar with. Muskwe, I think his name is. Um, pretty rare for me not to be all that familiar. But then they've got Jan Wildshot up top as well, who I think was at, Exit, uh, was at Oxford sorry, last season and, mm. and struggled a bit. I, do you know what? And they've got Tom Carroll as well, who was at, was at Spurs. I really feared for them pre-season. I thought that they were red-hot relegation candidates because they were good last season. They were a decent side. But I was wondering how they were then going to replace half of their squad, which they've, they've kind of had to do. They started really well. Still cautious. Still kind of said, I, I think they're one of the teams. You know, when you get a team that after six or seven games is in the top, top six and mm. they're all going, oh, we're going to have a good season. You know, then 12, 15 games in, they're not. Cambridge and Exeter are those two teams. I tipped them both, I think, for, for relegation, so certainly to be down there. Doesn't make this game any easier, though, does it? That's the problem. No, it never does when you're travelling away away from home. They're going to they're gonna want to set up defensively in, in the immediate because they're going to have to. They're, they're at home. On the one hand, their fans are going to be pushing, urging them on to try and push against us and try and get some early chances. But at the same time, the management team are going to want to sit back and just stay robust and keep it as nil-nil early on to then try and attack something a little bit later on. Like, yeah, yeah that... Sorry, go on. No, go on. You, you crack on, mate. You no, carry on. I, I was very much thinking, you said, like, like you say, they did have a lot of kind of turnover in the summer. And one of the biggest areas of that was their attack. They, they obviously lost Sam Nombe. And uh, obviously, Giovanni Brown's no longer there. And then you've, they also don't, no longer have uh, Jay Stansfield, who they had on loan last season. He, he's now at uh, Birmingham, I do believe. So they lost any kind of attacking impetus that they had last season. Because all three of those players, absolutely fantastic last season. And they helped propel Exeter up to a mid-table finish. And I very much agree in the sense that it doesn't look like they've replaced those players anywhere near as well as what they'd hoped. I mean, the goal count shows that. Like you say, the fact that they're struggling to score, uh, especially in recent weeks, shows that. That Admiral Mus Musque, now I do know a good bit about him, about him, but that's purely because of football manager. I, I, I'm not going to try and lie about that one. But he's a, he's a Leicester City youngster, uh, played a good few games for Luton in the Championship. I think he was at Wickham for a season as well, um, and the, or for half a season. If I remember correctly, and then was at Fleetwood for the second half of last season, before obviously now being at Exeter, which I believe is you know a permanent, it's a free transfer. But again, you know he's he's played four matches for them, only started two games. Obviously not got a, a goal or anything like that yet, and hasn't even got anywhere near the amount of xG that you'd want. Um, so it's just quite disappointing for them to have not replaced these players that were integral to their team, but have not replaced them at all, really. They've brought in players who aren't up to the standard. 
And I don't want to say that the attack carried them last year, but it certainly helped. And the fact that they've now lost that, I also feel fear for them. I think they're really going to struggle. Now, let's kind of add that you, we always like to, to put both points across. So they have made some good recruits at the back, Zach Jules and Will Ameson. <laughs> uh, Will Ameson, people may remember from being a key part of the Berry side that pushed us for promotion in um, 2018-19. Zach Jules, I think maybe in his 30s now, but he was obviously at MK Dons. The Wigan game, they lost that 2-0 recently, but their XG was actually 2.77 and Wigan's was 0.43. But then on the other hand, against Derby, their XG was 0.19. And against Arsenal under 21s, not really that relevant, but 0.27 because they do play their kids in that. 0.56 against uh, against Barnsley. Charlton, they lost 4-1 and that was absolutely spot on. But they, like I say, they play at 3-4-3, so we're going to be able to match them up more or less. Um, they tend to have quite a bit of possession. I mean, in that game against Wigan, by the way, 73% possession they yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. And 73% possession, 2.77 XG, 27 shots, four on target. Wigan won 2-0. They had two shot, uh, They had three shots and only one on target. I, I just, <laughs> it's absolutely, utterly bizarre. Mm. I think there was an own goal in there, wasn't there, rather than a, yeah. you know, so yeah, really, really kind of strange. I'm, I'm I'm reticent to kind of play them down all that much because it's always a route to uh, to disappointment, isn't it? When you mm. when you start playing a team down, you go down there with one two, you know, you you expect something and it it doesn't happen. What I would say is that at the minute they're scoring zero point seven nine goals a game, but their xG is one point three two. So they are creating chances, but they don't have the players to put it away. In mm -hmm. terms of XG conceded, it's 1.64 and goals let in a 1.79. So they're letting in more than they should be doing. And that's a really bad combination. But on the on the flip side of that, like 100%, and on the flip side of it, us having the lowest XG against in the league means that we're not going to let them have anywhere near as as many opportunities as they've maybe had, or, you know, that's the plan. We're not going to let them have as many opportunities as they've maybe had. And couple that with the fact that they're struggling to put, put it away when they get good opportunities leads to the fact that for me, I, I see us keeping a clean sheet. And like you say, we are going to be able to, to match them up. They can have the possession as much as they want. We're obviously nice and nice and robust. We've got a couple of really good midfielders that know exactly when to press. And what, the way I see it going is exactly how the game against Notts County went. I think they're going to have 70% possession of the ball, or, or, or 60 plus anyway. They're going to have lots of the ball. They're going to have it round the back. That's fine. We're hopefully going to press at times, try and win the ball back and, and push them into corners in certain uh, opportunities, of course. But at the same time, they can have the ball as much as they want. And then when we get it, we've shown that we've got players that are able to attack. I think it's going to be tough to break them down at certain points, but if they try to move forward with the ball and leave any kind of gap in behind, we've got runners. We've got the likes of Hakeem Adelican, who I, I would probably expect to see again on uh, Saturday. I think he's definitely earned a place in, in the squad as a bare minimum, um, probably in the starting eleven. He's got the options of, like I said, the flick-ons were absolutely brilliant. And if we can see something like that again on Saturday, if Jack Vale starts and puts himself about I've got a feeling like we're going to get a couple of goals and they're not going to be able to really create much and then they're not going to be able to score any, is is the hope. I really see it going the way that Notts County went. It's interesting. I hope you're right. XG against, we're now no longer the lowest after Saturday, ah. after Tuesday night. Um, only just, I was, we're now I was third thinking lowest. When I said it. <laughs> yeah. Third lowest. And we've knocked Charlton into mid-table. So we really did them some damage. But Exeter are the third highest XG against. And when you transpose mm. that into XGs per shot... So the quality of the chances, they're actually the very worst. So the chances that are created again per shot against Exeter are, on average, the best chances against teams in the league. The chances created against us, by the way, XG per shot against 0.09. So we are actually, that's the best in the division. So we are opposite yeah. ends yeah. of the scale in that respect. Um, and like you say, ER XG, we were in the bottom four for actually XG created, and now we're not. We, we've climbed right out of that as well, um, which I think is you know is, is quite impressive. So the Tom yeah, Shaw effect, the Tom Shaw effect. It's early in the season, so you know you only need to 
create shots so many uh, chances as we did the other night. Did you know that actually in the Football League, no player had registered double-digit shot numbers at all in any game across the entire Football League until Tuesday night? Yeah, uh, no, I commented on it. it. Was it you that commented on it? And then yeah. lasted, and, and Lucas Aikins as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really five, five on target as well, wasn't it? So it was, yeah, yeah, it was. So really, he, des- he deserved a goal. He deserved a goal. Pure, purely for Andy Pearson's bet, he deserved a goal. He did deserve a goal. So it's Exeter City away on Saturday. You know what that means, Charlie? A win, a game of Borridge. <laughs> oh goodness, mate! Right, okay. I've oh, forgotten gosh. all about Borridge. I'll, oh, I'll tell you what. Do you, do you want to go first? I don't know if I can. F- I mean, think of one. Um, I've got three Exeter. off the top of my head. Yeah, I've got three Ooh. off the top of my head. But the three, I think most of them, I think, will predate you. Yeah. As a person, not just as in a football fan. <laughs> ah. That's a rubbish game of Burridge then, isn't it? Let's hope John Burridge never actually played Can we not Brexit. pick a different team? <laughs> um, we can do. We can do. I would have gone for... Jason Manette, Justin Walker, and Gordon Hobson would have been my three initial go-tos. Hobson scored for us against Exeter on the final day of the 89-90 season. They were just going up, I think, as champions and then signed for Exeter the following season. (laughs) Jason Manette, I think we signed from Exeter and he went back down there, if I remember correctly. And Justin Walker, I just remember, played there. I I don't really remember. Anything else? We can have a quick game of, um, of Burridge if you want with another team. Okay. Are you picking the team or? No, you pick the team because I don't want Ooh. you to think I've, uh, I've cheated. Ooh. Ooh. Have to be quick though, Charlie, because this isn't good radio. Oh, right. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, MK Dons. Uh, Jude Sterling. Joe Walsh. Jack Payne. Conor McGrandles. Uh, why am I struggling? Regan Paul. Bugger. John Burridge. Ooh, well, I know I'm John Burridge. No, well, you, I'm you, say, actually, I've really picked the wrong team there, haven't I? Yeah, because you've screwed <laughs> up because John Burridge yeah. retired before. Um, well, no, no, well, right, right. I mean, I mean, technically, I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole franchise debate, but. Well, we, we, I mean, we can, I, I we're not going with. Wimbledon has to be included. Oh, well, I am not having that. Okay, if you <laughs> want to include Wimbledon, go on then. Wimbledon's included as well. No, I, I just meant the the team Wimbledon. Yeah, for yeah. John, well, that, that... For the John Burrish thing. Oh, I thought I... you were going to name some oh, players no, 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 that no, no, played no, for no. Wimbledon as well in Lincoln, like John Fashnu or Alan Cork, people like that. You're not going to mention those. No. No. Okay. Uh, so let's have a look. Did John Burridge play for? There's going to be another one for MK Dons that I've forgotten. It. It's going to really annoy me. Well, it's a little bit. Guarantee. It's a little bit late. I was I was actually struggling, if I'm honest. Yeah. I was struggling because I don't think there's all that many that have played for for us and MK. Well, Dons. I was just thinking because I think at what like there was one point where obviously we had Walsh, Regan, Paul, um, Colin McGrath, and somebody else. Because I always had a joke with a friend of mine that it was always a bit of a former player derby. Oh. John John Burridge. Let us know on Twitter. Yeah. Please do let, let us know, know on Twitter because there'll be. I'll let you know. I'll let you know on Twitter as soon as we finish recording. John Burridge I'll did not will. play for AFC Wimbledon, um, so technically having that's four in a row now because technically I won the Exeter one as well. Yeah, but did John Burridge play for Exeter? No, you didn't say John Burridge. You just yeah, but, te- yeah, but technically I would have said John Burridge. So if if Hang John Burridge played for Exeter, then I think I should get the point. Yeah, I. Uh, you know what? And if he does, I'm, I'm going to be really sat here hoping smoke, he didn't. Like... <laughs> uh, let's have a look through his list of teams. This could be some while. Uh-oh. He did not play for X. Damn it. <laughs> uh, if we were playing Jefferson Louis, um, he didn't play for Exeter either. So there oh, you go. Well 
Right, well, that was a great game of Borridge. I have committed to prepare my arse in Woolley's window if we announce our latest manager at half-time. Clive, if you're listening, please, please, please do not take that as a challenge. Um, I'd really... <laughs> just, really just, just on the phone now. Hey, Clive. Yeah, Clive, can you do us a favour? <laughs> it's been a good week. It's been an upbeat podcast. We really hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've actually been sitting on the floor recording it because I've been kicked out of the office and my legs are going dead. And I think the fire's gone out as well because it's quite cold. Um, you've heard from Ben, you've heard from Tom at Park Life, you've heard from Charlie Beeston, and you've heard from me this Saturday. Let's hope you hear from the 11 men wearing what's likely to be white, maybe pink. It is white. It's confirmed. It's white. So they'll be wearing white. Let's hope that we hear from them. Resoundingly putting another W in the column, pushing us a little bit closer to the top six, and who knows, pushing Tom Shaw maybe, maybe closer to emotion. We've been the Stacey West blog. You've been brilliant. We're always brilliant. Up the imps. Up the imps. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.